This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed Podcast with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. This is a very special episode. I say that all the time because it's true, they're all special, but this one is number special because it is the 200th episode of Obsessed. Now, there is a part of me that wants to be shocked that I have done 200 episodes of this podcast, but then I remember that the podcast is called Obsessed and suddenly it all makes sense again. Because I am very, very obsessive, I wanted to have the right episode to commemorate doing an excessive number of episodes of this podcast, so I held on to an episode that we recorded a while back. And I held on to it because this episode was recorded live in Minneapolis, and that is exactly how the podcast started. It started as a live show that I recorded every month in Minneapolis, Minnesota. At the time, I was recording the show at the Bryant Lake Bowl. This particular episode is recorded at a brand new theater that has started in Minneapolis called Strike Theater. So there's a little bit of the old, there's a little bit of the new, but it seemed fitting to celebrate 200 by going back to the beginning. It's all a circle, you know, philosophy. Anyway, you will perhaps also be able to hear the rustle of jackets and scarves and perhaps mittens worn by the audience because this was recorded in the winter, right before Christmas, so please enjoy all of the references that are already out of date by three months. What fools we were back then. What blind, blind fools. We did not even know that Vero was the next social media platform we were all going to join and immediately quit. What young, innocent days back in December of 2017. I also want to take this opportunity to celebrate another one of the great things about podcasts, and that's plugging stuff. Here are some quick plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. Also, please check out the Star Wars podcast that I co-host that is called Force Center. For info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. You can support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you get access to our monthly patron-only bonus episode where my wife Sarah and I talk about something we are obsessed with in the moment. For full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. But not now. Don't do it now. Do it later. Because right now, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a drink of your choice. If you're in a car or public transportation, mime a drink. Do whatever you have to. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy our 200th episode where we get very, very obsessive about storytelling. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. This is a live episode we are recording at Strike Theater in Minneapolis. I am excited to talk about something that's very close to my heart for this episode of Obsessed, and that is storytelling. Now, we're going to get into what what do people think storytelling is. I kind of think it is something that's just sort of like all around us. Sometimes we construct stories on purpose, but then sometimes they just sort of happen to you. And I wanted to kick it off with a thing that, that happened to me that had sort of a beginning and a middle and an end, but I'm not sure what the moral was. Uh, I was shopping at a Target. I was in the Star Wars action figure line looking at the action figures to purchase them for myself as an adult. Uh, My wife Sarah was with me, and then something that I've kind of uh, really thought about, fantasized, dare I say, about happening actually happened. 
there was a, a woman about my age. She was in the aisle. She was looking at the Star Wars toys, and she was very confused and annoyed. And she finally turned to me and said, like, can you explain what's going on? Like, some of them are shorter. Some of them are taller. <laughs> some of them have different weapon thingies. What is going on? And I was like, finally, my day has come. So I started explaining, like, well, this one has a lot of articulation, so if, you know, the, you're, the person you're buying from needs to bend at the elbow, that'll be perfect. Uh, and then she still didn't quite get it, so I just asked, like, well, uh, how old is the, the person you're shopping for? And she looked at me and said, my son is an adult. <laughs> and he wants these damn toys for himself. Can you believe that? I'm like, you're talking to me. I'm an adult. I think that perhaps you have missed a part of the story that I have not missed. Uh, and I didn't know exactly what to make of that story, uh, what that, the moral of that story was. Uh, so it was a little bit of an awkward moment. I gave my advice, and then uh, Sarah and I went about shopping in Target, and the woman accidentally kept going everywhere that we were and finding more and more Star Wars stuff. And every time she found Star Wars pajamas or Star Wars uh, throw pillows, she would find us again and say, what the hell is going on with this? Why are adults buying this? Why? Why? And this woman basically followed us all through Target, judging us without knowing that she was actually judging us. A beautiful holiday story. And with that, I am going to introduce my wonderful guest. He is a comedian, a writer, one of the owners of this very theater, and very good at having a beard. It's Mike Fotis. Hello. Hey. She's a storyteller, a producer, another one of the owners of this theater, and is very good at owning cute dogs. It's Allison Brorin. And finally, he's a writer, a director, an actor, a historian, a luminous being. He does not co-own a theater, but he could if he wanted to. It's Craig Johnson. Thank you all so much uh, for, I was going to say coming here, but you own this theater, so you would probably be here anyway if I just snuck in and started doing a podcast. Yep. That's true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I want to just get started with this sort of uh, the basics of uh, what is storytelling. Like, uh, I'll start with you, Mike, and I'll go down the line. When you hear that, what do you think it is? Do you think it's an art form? Do you think it's an idea? What do you think storytelling is? Yeah, I guess it's an art form. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's I so um so here it is is what it is it's um it's the thing <laughs> it's the thing I'm most comfortable doing performance wise okay and I think uh so for me it's just it's it uh so it's it's a way to like ex um in a clear way ex <laughs> uh get across a point that uh about yourself. Or something else. I don't know. I tell stories about me, so that's, okay. yeah. So for you, though, then, is this storytelling, uh, is it catharsis if it's about you? Is it to get it off your chest, or is it purely just to entertain people? And if you, I mean, I know your stories, and they're always uh, funny, poignant stories that usually involve some kind of personal flaw. So is it that you're like, I know what will be funny if I tell people about the time that this bad thing happened to me? Well, no, I mean, I think it kind of changed uh, once, I, uh, once I started going to th therapy. Uh, and uh, I don't go anymore because I'm fixed. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but, but how, uh, how, I, how I presented the stories I told changed 
once that well, I tell changed once that happened because I was more willing to go a little bit deeper with why I was telling the story that I was telling. Okay. I feel like I've always been pretty confessional in it, but now that it was actually kind of liberating because it, it 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 almost was like it was it was ve- it was permission to do that, and that was that was sort of a an important thing for me as I was learning how to do all this. Okay, so for you, it is performance and uh, going deeper into your psychosis. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Allison, how about for you? Um, I think a story storytelling um, has a beginning, middle, and end, which was something that you touched on before. I think it's different than essay writing and stand-up comedy um, for those reasons, and it's a fine line, but it's, you know, like, it's like porn, you know, when you see it kind of thing. Um, (laughs) Quickly, turn the storytelling off. My mother's coming. Right? (laughs) Um, And I I do a lot of the same as Mike, like a lot of the confessional, personal narrative kind of story. I do think you can dig really deep into the art form and plots and structure and things like that, but I also love how accessible it is because everyone has a story and can just get up and share that one wild story that, you know, their friends are always like, here, meet Mike, and this is his story he should tell you. So it's really accessible, which I like about it. Cool. How about for you, Craig? You don't do, like, uh, just for, like, the people listening for, like, some yeah. context, like, this theater, Strike, is a, a sketch comedy storytelling spoken word theater, and uh, Mike and Allison are both, like, you stand up and you tell stories, like, you know, moth-style stories and different kinds of stories. Craig, you're much more of a theater artist, mm-hmm. so for you, what is storytelling? Well, I do think of it in terms of dramatic structure. I mean, that's really been my life, is working as an actor and a director, telling those. And now that I'm teaching college, I feel like, you know, I should have a little bit of theory behind it. So I I think of Aristotle um, immediately. I think think of Aristotle all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I I think about dramatic arcs and, you know, how things are put together. You know, uh, how can you do exposition? How you can get the basic information out of the way quickly? How do you establish a conflict? How do you make that active and forward moving? You know, how do you, how do you reach a climax? Um, (laughs) And then what is a denouement? Well, you know, Finding that out, too, and establishing that. <laughs> okay. So descending action or restoration of order, too. You know? <laughs> so, <it's laughs> so you have a, a, a huge technical grasp of uh, climax and whatnot. Uh, I do, yeah. <laughs> how? It's never failed me. <laughs> We've done shows together where you've told stories from your life, but in general yeah. they've been... Uh, like you, I don't think I've seen you tell a story that like digs deep, deep, deep into something that you would otherwise tell at therapy, but you have structure to tell in front of an audience. Do you feel comfortable with that, or is that just not for you? Wow, I, yeah, I guess I, you know, I, I mean, I tell a lot of the same stories, as you know, um, <laughs> and, and I like telling them, and I like telling them in rehearsal and for theater, because I think you can sort of like explain theater a little bit and a little bit how it works, too. Either, you know, you know, horrible things that may have happened on stage or something like that, or stories about famous people, too. I like, I like doing those, because I think those are a lot of fun. <laughs> and, and they make sort of famous people seem more real, um, you know, and it's just like, oh, well, I, I guess I can probably accomplish something in this role if I know that, you know, Laurence Olivier failed miserably at this part as well, too. <laughs> okay, so that for you, they're a source of inspiration. That's right, yeah. Okay, but uh, would you ever get together with Mike and do, like, the super deep, revealing show like if I asked you guys like I want to produce I'm the title's going to be super deep revealing starring Mike Fotis and Craig Johnson yeah Mm -hmm. 
You do it? Yeah, I would do it. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Coming next summer. Super next summer. deep revealing. What are you doing in May? <laughs> not a, not a lot. I'm, not a joke. I'm, I'm available in May. <laughs> we have several weekends free. <laughs> this is a large ad for Strike Theater. This guy's is a podcast. Uh, so, Allison, you touched on it, and also you, Craig, with using stories as inspirations. Uh, I'm curious about what stories have actually changed your lives. Either something from your own life that you've told or a story that you've heard. Like, Craig, you were talking about telling other people, like, here's a, a time that Laurence Olivier fucked up. And now I feel better about fucking up because yeah. Laurence Olivier did it. Uh, what stories have you had actually changed something in your life where you have either actively felt better or you've actually done something different with career or money or relationships because of a story? Mike, is there anything? Well, there's a. I, I view my dad differently after a story he told me. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Because, like, you know, my dad is like a very nice man. He's just a very nice man. Um, but, like, apparently when he was in, in college, he was joyriding with some buds and uh, <laughs> flicked a guy off. And the guy uh, followed him, forced them off the road, and pulled a gun out of him. <laughs> So I, that that changed sort of how I viewed like what my dad did as a high schooler. <laughs> I just assumed he was always like I what are, I just I was smart in high school and he was, but he also flicked people off and almost got shot. <laughs> <laughs> and he presented it very much like like a lesson like so don't do that. <laughs> also, this was one of the my dad like a lot of times like. <laughs> Like he'd be at, the, he'd be like he'd he'd be like taking a poop, right? And um, <laughs> like I'd be walking through past, like and you know, the door would be closed and stuff. And then from there, he'd like that's where he would distill lessons. Sort of be like, you know, he'd be like, hey, heard about what happened in school? <laughs> and like so, it was like that you were sort of scared to like go past there, but. Um, <laughs> I'm, anyway, I'm sorry, I want to make sure that I understand. He was using the bathroom or yeah, you were so, using no, the bathroom? No, he would be using the bathroom. <laughs> and like, so you'd, I'd be walking past or whatever. Does he have amazing hearing or did no, he have he creaky like, floors? I think he just knew it. And so he was just, he like planned it out. So he was like, I've got to teach my son a lesson. I'll plan my shit for 710. <laughs> and I'll catch him off guard. I don't even know why I brought that up. Because that story that I just told you didn't happen <laughs> while he was on the shitter. But it's like the stuff you remember, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So in terms of taking a lesson, when you get angry in traffic, do you remember not to flip people off? Yes, because actually, yes, 100%. Okay. Because I do, uh, I do get angry in traffic sometimes, yeah. and that actually has popped into my head okay. several times that that is like a legit thing that happened. And when you're using the bathroom, do you say to yourself, don't shout out stories to anyone walking by? <laughs> no, I, sometimes like my dad, I can hear my dog walking by and I'll just be like, I'll pretend to be my dad for a second and be like, <laughs> like so are you going to take out the garbage? <laughs> and my dog is just, you know, my dog doesn't care because it's a dog and it can't understand but <laughs> all right Allison uh, besides the stories that you just heard are there any other stories that have been instructive in your life <laughs> um, yeah I, I, I think there are and I also think I, one of the things I get to do is I get to listen to like 
hundreds of live storytelling shows every year, um, hosting shows. And I think one of the really cool things that can happen during those is how it can just spark memories of things you had totally forgotten about. Um, just in the show we did right before this, like for instance, like I remember the time my mom made like penis shaped decorations for Christmas for everyone. Uh, giant banana candles on every spot in the table. And it was like one of our nicest holiday memories that we have that I had totally forgotten about. Um, she will be super glad that that story is now recorded. Um, but, so I mean, like I think there's those connections that you can build from listening to other stories and how you apply them to like all aspects of your life or you can just remember like oh hey like I just remember that kid in the third grade who used to pants everyone what a jerk he was but like you know like you you, you wouldn't think of that on a normal basis so yeah I think that's a really powerful thing storytelling can do is connect us like that yeah can I ask a question absolutely so like do, do any does anybody here like when you do have that memory of a story flash in that you haven't thought of in a while do you immediately think to yourself, oh, this could show up in a slam, this could show up in a straight, because I do, I do. Like, yeah, that's pretty totally. much how my brain yeah. works yeah. now when that happens. Yeah, I, so. like, I have a little notebook and I'll just write like, penis candle. And then, say, like, you know, yeah. Like you do. Like you do. <laughs> uh, Craig, how about for you? Is there a, a story that has been instructive? Well, I, I remember 1965, The Sound of Music came out. And our family had to get tickets. We had to reserve tickets, and we all went to go see Sound of Music. And I thought it was really good. I thought it was really, really good. Um, when we came back home then, um, it was a story that I just kept thinking about. And then my grandmother said, well, I didn't go with you to the Sound of Music. Would you like to go see it again? And I said, yes. Yes, I would <laughs> like to go see it again. Um, and then I would, you know, like all kids, do, you know, for things that they like, you know, to reenact the movie or something like that. So there was a big hill outside our, <laughs> our house. And I would, um, I took one of my mom's aprons and, <laughs> and we had these striped washcloths. So I would just pin them to my t-shirt then too. And then I would just go out in the backyard and just twirl on the hillside too. Uh, because that movie made such a great impression on me too. But even better though, we also had, uh, it was easy to sort of relive it because we had the, um, the soundtrack recorded. So I could listen to it over and over and over again too. And then when I started kindergarten <laughs> that fall, Mrs. Shannon's room, um, I told Mrs. Shannon because she was asking, you know, you know, what did you do over the summer? And I said, oh, we went to go see Sound of Music. It was really good. But we have the record, so I can listen to it over and over again. And Mrs. Shannon said, really? Could, could you ask your parents, would it be OK if I borrowed your record? <laughs> and I was just like, oh my god, teacher wants to borrow my record. <laughs> so I went home and I asked my mom. She said, sure, but you have to be careful, though. You know, records, you know, some, you know so they don't break. Or, don't worry, it's not going to be that story. Um, <laughs> so I brought it in and gave it to Mrs. Shannon. She was like, oh, that's wonderful. Oh, I'll, I'll listen to it. And I'll be sure to give it back to you. Um, but then as the days went by, then she never, she never brought it back, you know. <laughs> and I thought, like, well, what, what do I do? I can't ask my teacher for the record back. I was just, like, so embarrassed. I was really uncomfortable. I became really depressed at home. My mom said, oh, we have another record. And I thought, like, why didn't you tell me we had another record of The Sound of Music? And she brought it out. But it was an original Broadway cast recording, too. And so I looked at it, and I thought, like, their clothes aren't right. That lady is way too old, Mary Martin. Um, and the, the kids are all wrong. Um, so I listened to it and I thought their singing was terrible too. So my mom said, well then you just have to ask for the record back. So I went and asked my, Mrs. Shannon and it was just like, you have my Sound of Music record. <laughs> and she said, oh Craig, I, 
you know, I lent it to the other kindergarten teacher. I was like, oh no, oh no. I, um, but eventually it was okay. We got the record back and I was able to listen to it once again. And then I was kind of set. So I was back twirling in the backyard. <laughs> so, all right, I want to pull Sorry. out like the didactic moments of like what you actually got from that story. So yeah. you learned that it was fun to relive narrative That's uh, right. and just to be in the moment by spinning so you could be a part of the story. Twirling. And then what was the other thing you learned? Like, don't fucking trust kindergarten teachers? That's right, yeah. Watch out who you trust. Who. Yeah. <laughs> Did you actually carry that with you, though? Was that an actual, like, uh, like I I'm just fascinated. Like, I think some stories inspire, like, I should try to do that. Like, a lot of our hero stories in pop culture say, like, try to be brave. Yeah. Uh, and, do you know, control your fear. And then there, I think a lot of our stories in life are like, here's a bad thing that happened to me or somebody else, so avoid that. I think the main thing that I really learned was actually that our, there are different people who can tell the story. And some of them tell it better than others. So there's, like, Mary Martin, complete failure, really. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, come on. <laughs> Except no substitute. She's not Julie Andrews. You know, come on. You know, so, but that Julie Andrews was the way that it should be, too. So it was, it was learning a little bit about perf performance and interpreting a part. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. All right. So I wanted to follow up a little bit on what Mike asked, because it's such a great question about, like, always Thank having you. your, your antenna up for a story. Are you guys ever at the point where you are actively hoping something weird or bad happens to you so you can get fresh story material? Yes. You're saying no? I try not to do that. I, I, feel, like, I feel like you could sway what's happening in yeah. a way, you know what I mean? So, like, yeah, I get excited when I'm at, like, a McDonald's and, like, the some weird guy is like doing something with his burger or whatever but like I don't like I don't encourage that person like hey keep fucking with that burger you know I, I don't know I, I, I do kind of feel like I don't want to I don't know. I think it's a weird fine line. Like I don't yeah. necessarily like. Allison, I, well, I won't say like I encourage people to be weird, but like I think you like I'll find times where I'm like, geez, I I've been like creating a lot or doing like a lot of work just like in the house. So maybe I'll just like ride lifts around for two weeks and see what weird things happen. Yeah. Just to kind of like get out and like make sure because like I think at some point like I think being an artist it is that hard because you create and that's like an internal alone thing but then you need to do these other things to like create more. Um, so like some things I'll be like I just need an adventure of some part. Yeah. You know and kind of take that adventure but sometimes it's boring but sometimes you have a Lyft driver who tells you she's on break from the CIA and she's in Minneapolis following the money of the terrorists undercover, you know, and you're like, cool, drive me around more. <laughs> and then she tells you how she drove the 49ers football team to In-N-Out Burger all the time. Like, and you know, like that was a fun night. So, um, like, I think being open to that. And so, yeah, yeah, that makes sense yeah. to me for yeah. sure. Craig, what do you think? Yeah. I, I really deal with interpretive scripts, so I, I really don't go around like looking for stories, but when they happen, that well, my favorite things actually are, are, are moments of where I feel victimized and my sense of comic outrage um, <laughs> takes over right there too. So if something happens, I, you know, I immediately start thinking like, I can't wait to tell so-and-so about it who will really appreciate this thing that was done to me that was both <laughs> awful and kind of like uh, appallingly hilarious or something too, like uh, some kind of work thing or some kind of you know, mm -hmm. slight that was done to me. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I really relate to that because I think, uh, you know, I end up working from home a lot, you know, doing a lot of different creative things. And then I, I remember like, oh, I need to go back out into the world to connect with people. So mm -hmm. then I, I feel like, well, I, I hope I just get that positive human interaction. But then I also like, it'd be really great if something truly bad happened. And like, <laughs> that's not healthy no. at all. <laughs> And then something bad did happen, and then I was pissed, and then I didn't know how to feel. <laughs> uh, my wife and I went to a Guns N' Roses concert uh, in, in L.A., and we got these like great seats, and I was very happy. And then there was a guy that I'm pretty sure, in retrospect, was on cocaine, who decided that the perfect place to dance was directly in front of our line of sight. And he would just jump up, and he would do like the most stupid, like, I'm auditioning to be on Saturday Night Live. What if I pretended to be, de be doing a guitar solo while humping something? And he would just like perfectly block our vision. And then everybody else told the security guard about it. So the security guard would like come and try to get him to move away. And then they created an intricate dance where the security guard would take one step forward. And then the solo dancing guy would run back just a half step. Then the security guard would turn around and then he would come back. And I really had this like, oh man, that's a good story but it's actually ruining my life right now. Right. How should I feel about it? Which one? Yeah. Well, I think with storytelling, there's always, like, how much distance do you need from something? Yeah. And it's still too raw for me right yeah, now. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah. I, can, yeah. I can see your pain. <laughs> and you need that time and that distance just to be able to shape it into something, too, and to figure out sort of what the point of it is. You know, yeah, you know, yeah. And how and you want to use it. Yeah, there has to be meaning in the fact that air-humping guy blocked my view of Axl Rose. <laughs> yeah. There has to be a lesson in there. Yeah. What like, shitty luck to be in front, next to the only guy at a Guns N' Roses concert who had done cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> The funny thing is, I think he was, like, <laughs> everybody totally else was, like, it. sitting with their hands neatly folded, like, we may or may not vape some pot, but if the rest <laughs> of you could just calm down. Uh, Allison, I wanted to, to throw this open to everybody, but you in particular, uh, you once actually said to me, and it's been stuck in my head for a long time, that everything is storytelling, mm -hmm. which, you know, we can think of it as a kind of performance or something that we use to do theater or, or movies or whatever. It, I think it's when we were talking about marketing something. Do you... Do you think there's anything that we shouldn't use storytelling for? That it's like too sacred of a power and you shouldn't use it to just like sell crap? <laughs> um, man, anything? I, I think there's different levels of stories that are appropriate to sell things. Um, and I think sometimes, like sometimes I'm like, why am I crying at a Subaru ad? <laughs> uh, it just told a really nice story about a puppy but it's a Subaru ad, so I'm kind of mad. I'm having this huge emotional reaction to it right now. Uh, but I don't know like, that that's like on a, on a moral line that's wrong. It's just kind of annoying that yeah. you, know, you can have this power over someone. I, 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 I do think stories are used for, to connect us as human beings to each other, like currently to our past, to our histories, to the world around us. So like, I, I, I think we have to tell them about everything. Yeah. So, and we have to apply them to everything just because yeah. it is our natural mode of, of communication and being. Yeah. Mike, do you th have you ever seen an example of storytelling where you're like, I see I'm being manipulated by that, uh, are the human desire to just know what's next? You're telling me a story. I, I sometimes feel that where I, I feel like the pursuit of telling the story um, is like 
saying to you, now's the time for you to be very sad. You know what I mean? And that's where I sort of feel like, well, maybe, but you didn't quite, quite earn that from me. I, I feel like for Do me... Do you mean that like interpersonally? Like somebody tells you a story and like, that didn't actually make me sad. Well, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like somebody says something like that, and then the car fell off the cliff and there's like a pause and it's like... Uh, all right, I'm sad for you. Know. You know what I mean? Like, but you know, it wasn't a well-told story. So, um. well, I think that, like, I, th- I, th- I think that also goes back to, I think what you're kind of talking about too is like the appropriateness of when someone's telling a story. Yep. And we talk a lot in our in our storytelling classes about like you might have these stories that you really want to tell, and just like what we talked about a minute ago. You might need some more distance from them because it's it's not appropriate for someone to get on the stage and have a therapy session that makes the audience really uncomfortable. And I try to tell like my storytellers, like if someone's gonna come up to you and say, Oh my God, like are you okay? Should I like commit you somewhere? You know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> what do you need? Like maybe, maybe you need to be framing that because like it's a little unfair to an audience to force them on that emotional journey yeah. sometimes, I think. Yeah. What do you think about that, Craig? What do you think about irresponsible storytelling? Um, well, we're just a couple days before Christmas, so, you know, I mean, you had mentioned, like, you know, is there anything that's too sacred? But the funny thing is, you know, like about Christmas or something like that, it is really just a story. You yeah. Know? I mean, it's a beautiful story. I mean, it's a story about, you know, a baby being born or something like that, too. So it seems like stories are just like, just like, like just sort of core to... Uh, to most people's faith traditions too, and most most of the major faith traditions too, it, it's less has to do with abstract sort of phil- philosophical ideas. But when it can be framed into a story, so that you can imagine, okay, what would be the lowliest, worst possible thing in that culture? Well, maybe that would be an unmarried teenager who was pregnant or something that would normally be cast out, and it's just like in the stable or something like that, but gives birth to a baby, and still, that is the most miraculous thing. And for most, you know, for just about anyone who's ever had a kid, you know, that moment of life suddenly there is a new life right there too, yeah. is a remarkable story to be celebrated. And it's, it's just a huge um, example of that. Yeah. I think. yeah. Now, like, to me, the idea of religion or super sacred tales as stories is mm-hmm. like, that makes sense. But yep. the way you broke that down I have never thought of the story of Christmas is like a great moth story. <laughs> but yeah, the way you broke that down, I can yeah. totally see. Like, so yeah. I was pregnant, the dad wasn't around. Yeah, I was trying to get to point A to point B, and the amazing thing happened. Mm-hmm. And then you sort of realize, well, what does that story really tell us, too? And then you can sort of then you can sort of build from that, too, and to give it that shape or that context or that meaning or something like that. So if you think about, well, what does that mean? It means that there's something sacred inside all of us, even the lowliest of us. What does that mean if there's something? actually a divine spark within me. What does that mean for how I should live my life? And suddenly that story takes on an incredible kind of meaning and a responsibility if you want to put your trust in that story. Right, so that makes sense. So the responsibility is somewhat on the interpreter to take Mm -hmm. uh, what they want. So you guys have talked a lot about structure and obviously structure is what a story is kind of ultimately, but I'm really fascinated with should all stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end? Or should we as a culture get more okay with rambling stories or stories that are just a middle? Because I think that there's a culture where sometimes as storytellers, 
we force a moral or a resolution that's only half true because we want to please an audience. And sometimes it might be more satisfying to like, hey, my dad yelled at me while I was taking a shit and I have no idea what it means. It's just a thing that happened to me. I anyway, mean, I know what it meant, but I hear what you're saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what did it mean, Mike? What did it mean? No, I actually feel that way a lot. So like sometimes when I'm, I'm talking about two other storytellers or I'm writing the story myself, I actually have to kind of remind myself sometimes, like, maybe I don't need to tie this up so nicely. Maybe I don't need to find, um, find the moral of it or whatever. I, because I think a lot of times for me, like, I'll throw away a story that might be pretty good because it doesn't sort of have the drama or the weight to it. But, like, I, I really do firmly believe that if you allow yourself to be in that moment, you you could tell a story about ordering a sandwich and have it be a really engaging story that doesn't have, like, you know, and the moral of the story was if you just order what you want, you'll be happy. Like, um, <laughs> although that's a good way to wrap up a story. Uh, but then that McDonald's guy comes. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, so for me as a writer and a storyteller, sometimes I, like, have to remind myself, like, no, you thought this was funny. This was a funny thing that happened and it didn't necessarily have the most amazing ending to it or the middle of it was just sort of this murky thing, but it was like a 15-minute segment of your life that might actually be worth telling if you're willing to sort of dig into it and, yeah. and explore it a little bit more. I just have to remind myself of that a lot. Awesome. Allison, what do you think? You're a teacher of stories. Yes. Do you, with your students, do you, do you force them to have... A moral in no, ending? No, definitely no. Um, I think I, I think we talk about morals a lot, and then we also talk about, like, let's trust your audience enough that they can kind of interpret that moral without you beating them over the head with it. Um, so I think, like, I think saying, like, should a story have a beginning, middle, and ending? Yes. Is that ending a moral? Not always, definitely. Okay. Um, so I think I would think about it like that a little bit because you can have your super funny sandwich story that should have an ending line that leaves this audience satisfied. But like, I think a story, <laughs> Mike has this story, it's a real thing. Um, but you know, like, but if you leave somebody with a story and they have like 50 more questions than they have answers, you might want to wrap some more things <laughs> up in it, you know, like, but you don't necessarily need to be like, and this is what it means and you need to go forth and understand this now. Yeah. What do you think, Craig? Do you think, are you up for more unstructured stories or stories that do have a beginning, a middle, and an end, but there's no clear, and, and so you should think this? I've been thinking a lot, actually, about the beginnings of stories, like how stories take off, you know, what makes it, what grabs us and what keeps us engaged. And because I, I'm prepping for this class that I have to teach at, at St. Catherine University on the a survey of musical theater, so I've been thinking about, like, dramatic structure and stuff like that, too, um, and about, like, how people write, like, opening songs for musicals and stuff like that. And there's a great story about uh, a funny thing happened on the way to the Forum, that musical, when it was out of town, too, it wasn't working at all, too, and Stevenson Sondheim, the composer, was his first score, and so he wrote this beautiful, charming song called Love is in the Air, uh, but, and the show wasn't working, and Jerome Robbins came up and you know, looked at the show, and he says, well, that opening number's got to go, and it's just like, why? And he said, well, you, you've betrayed the trust of your audience. I mean, what you're doing is a low-comedy slapstick farce with all of this, you know, kind of poop jokes and, you know, and sexy jokes, you know, and stuff like <laughs> that, too, but you have this charm song that opens the show, but it's a really good song. It's just like, no, it doesn't matter if it's a good song. You, you know, you're not you're not setting up the story that you want to tell, and 
And so they changed the song, and they did uh, Comedy Tonight, too, which is absolutely all about it, which uh, allowed you to sort of introduce kind of the, the characters, the place, the time, and exactly what the tone or the style of, of the show is going to be, too. And then I, I actually saw The Last Jedi the other day, too, Ooh. and I realized this is actually starts off exactly the same as Romeo and Juliet, you know, because in Romeo and Juliet, the chorus comes out and says, two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona, where we lay our scene. And right, you know, you begin this, uh, that um, crawl. The crawl, yeah. Yeah, you know, which tells you exactly what's going to happen at the beginning of the Star Wars movie. And then it goes, like, right into a big fight is happening, too. And you're just like, ah, what's, gonna, what's happening? What's going on, too? <laughs> There's a you war know, in the stars. Exactly. And it's the same thing happened in Romeo and Juliet. You know, before you can say, you know, do you bite your thumb at me? You know, then there's all of a sudden there's this huge fight that's going on. You don't know who's on what side or, you know, what, what the dealers or what's happening right there, too. So both of those, Romeo and Juliet and The Last Jedi, sort of use the same kind of liftoff structure. <laughs> I, I assume if it picks up on the podcast that the, the person who threw their bottle on the ground, it was in a spirit of ingreen with you, that Romeo and Juliet. I think so, yes. Yeah, another the Shakespearean Jedi. scholar. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I do think about the start, if it's okay. No, please. I do think about the start of stories a lot. So, like, when I do my longer storytelling shows, I'm, like, sitting at a table and a chair and stuff. And when I go out of town, especially, like, it's really important that I get the start of the story mm -hmm. right, especially with the audience mm -hmm. buy-in. So the first five or six minutes of the show, I'm just, like, really chatting everybody up and, like, really trying to make Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Like, this is what it's going to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm very comfortable with it. And I actually say that sometimes, especially in out-of-town shows. Oh, really? I'm very comfortable doing this this way. I do it this way a lot. So I'm, what I'm trying to do right now is build a little bit of trust between you. Like, if you're willing to buy into the fact that this is a little bit different than when you might be used to seeing storytelling-wise, I think we're going to be in pretty good shape. And I know that sounds strange to do that, but I consider it the start of the show and of the story that I'm telling, even yeah. though it's sort of more of a preamble. And I think it's really important to do because I noticed when I wasn't doing that, especially for out of town kind of things, boy, that first 15 minutes was hard and I didn't feel like I had that buy-in and yeah, that. And because the audience is terrified. Yes. The curtain goes yes. up and the audience is completely terrified. They have no idea what this world is going to be, who the characters are, what is going to happen. It's like a Kafka experience every <laughs> single time. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. And I have the luxury of being me on stage doing this story, so why not take advantage of that and sort of build that rapport with the audience mm -hmm. and, and stuff. And it, it, it really helped a lot and it... It helped, it helped the middle and the end of my story because people were willing to buy into what I was doing. Right, so it's just that honesty of like, this is exactly what you're in for. Romeo and Juliet are going to fight. There's going to be a war in the stars. Mike Fotis is going to sit at a table and yeah. he's going to tell you uh, personal and funny things. Yeah. So you just have to tell people what they're in for. Uh, was, yeah, so I think the, part of the reason that I wanted to ask about all that is I do think that there is... that. Uh, the story structures obviously work best if there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. But I think that we can sort of creep in society into sort of thinking that life should be that way, that life should be a neat package. And the truth is, it, Allison, it's like your lift ride of like, I go on a lift ride and five of them are fucking boring, and one of them is awesome, and the end. Yeah. And there isn't like structure or meaning until you give it structure and meaning. Mm -hmm. uh, so I want to ask you a more flavorful question than, than a philosophical question. If you guys uh, could just summon any person from history, and instead of being the storyteller, you could hear a story, who would you want to hear a story from, from anyone in the history of existence? Mike looks physically frightened. 
I bet Teddy Roosevelt tells a fucker of a story. <laughs> I bet you know half I mean? of it is lies, <laughs> half of it is true. Half of it's lies, but like he would like so you'd be you'd be like, Oh, I'm interested. Oh, I got tickets to see Teddy Roosevelt tell the story. And then you're like, Why is this bear on stage? And then you just see a fucking fist go through the bear and it's Teddy Roosevelt and he's like, Here I am. <laughs> You don't even care about the rest because he put his fist through a bear. He was telling you what the rest of the story is going to be like. <laughs> yeah, he, he set up the story. By Get comfortable, motherfuckers. Yeah. I just murdered a bear. <laughs> yeah. I'm Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> How about you, Allison? If you could hear a story from any, any person ever, who would it be? Any person ever? I don't know why Kenny G just keeps popping into my <laughs> head. I don't know why, but that's just what's in my head. Um, I feel like he's been places and seen some things. Do you think it would be a story of tragedy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> a story of redemption? Maybe. Which one's Kenny G? You know. <laughs> Is, what does he play? The gold clarinet? That guy? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're attracted to a story of perhaps tragedy and redemption? Yep. Excellent. And, Craig? Gold, and golden clarinet. And golden clarinet. How about you, Craig? Um, pretty much hands down Oscar Wilde. Yeah. Because I, I, I've had the opportunity three times to play Oscar Wilde on stage, so I've like thought a lot about him, and a lot, you know, his biography is just like so fascinating and so kind of inscrutable. Why did he do the things that he did, you know, and end up getting caught and uh, getting exiled and everything? But he, he was also renowned for being just like a wonderful storyteller himself and raconteur, you know, and of course was so incredibly funny. And people said like he could really talk to anyone, you know. So I mean, there are stories of him talking to like miners in South Dakota and stuff like that too, and just holding them enthralled and talking to them about interior design or something <laughs> like that. Can you imagine? <laughs> and aesthetic, you know, the house beautiful or something like that, and why we should make our lives uh, more beautiful and we should live in beautiful places surrounded by beautiful things and stuff like that too. So I think it would be it would be fascinating just to say, okay, drop the mask, drop the guard, you know. Yeah. Tell me about you. Yeah, that idea of some of being able to really connect with people from different walks of life. Yeah. yeah. Like in my mind, like all these images that we've talked about, I'm just picturing like you go to McDonald's, you open the bathroom door, and Oscar Wilde is just standing there like, I'm going to tell you a story now. Well, that wouldn't be surprising, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so here's, here's one more question for this section of the podcast. Uh, and there's, there's a little bit of a story to it. I wanted to ask who would be a better storyteller, someone or someone. And I thought of the first person, and then I was busy and stressed. I was like, I can't. Who, who's the other person I should ask? And I asked my wife, Sarah, who else, who should be the other person? And she just offered the second person. So I came up with the first person. Sarah came up with the second. So here's the question to my panel. Who would be a better storyteller, Batman or Winona Ryder? <laughs> Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder. <laughs> yeah. Batman would just be like, because it's a utility belt. <laughs> yeah. He wouldn't have much to say. So unanimous Winona Ryder. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Is it just because Batman you don't think is very talkative? Yeah, I just yeah. think he's so guarded. Yeah. Yeah. It would be hard to break through that. Though if yeah. he was like telling me a good night story, I would pick him over Winona Ryder. Really? If he was like reading a book? Yeah. In the voice. Lulling, lulling me scarily to sleep. <laughs> Go the fuck to sleep. Like that? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. 
All right, so I wanted to, since we have all great storytellers, I wanted to actually tell a story. Uh, so we're going to play a sort of improv game where uh, I'm going to point my finger at each one of you. And uh, while my finger is pointing at you, you are telling the story. When my finger moves to the next person, the next person takes over the story. And we'll see if we come to any sort of resolution or moral. Are you guys ready? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. All right. Yeah. Uh, audience, I would like a general topic. Could someone shout out a general topic for a story you'd like to hear? Fruits and vegetables. Anything can be a story. Are you ready to begin, Mike? I am. Here is your tale of fruits and vegetables. Once upon a time, there was a giraffe named Jerry. He went to the grocery store because he needed some fruits and vegetables. Uh, He noticed that there was a sale on bananas. So he went nuts and bought 12 of them. One of the bananas had a spider on it. And the spider started talking to Jerry and telling him, Jerry, you really need to find a purpose with your life. You're just ambling around, shopping for all these bananas. Do you need all these bananas? Are you over-consuming? You should really think about your place in the world and really understand the impact that your choices have on society at large. And so the giraffe left the store thinking deeply about this and about bananas and about spiders as well. He went back home, he sat down, and he thought a little bit more about that. Uh, Then he ate some leaves instead because he liked leaves actually better than bananas. Why was he so obsessed with bananas? Suddenly most of his life didn't seem to have meaning any longer. He looked at the lump of clay that had been sitting on his creator's desk for many weeks and thought to himself, today is the day that I make something. So he started molding the clay. And it it was looking more like a banana than he was comfortable with. (laughs) And so... (laughs) And so, thinking that really he had to focus back on why bananas kept coming back into his head, even though he thought he liked leaves better, he smashed the banana clay into the ground, destroying his desk, thinking about everything just being so futile. Um, And then he went on a rampage where he started smashing all of the dishes in his house uh, and punched a hole in the wall with his back leg. It was destroyed. It was all gone. His entire life had no meaning any longer. So he headed back to the grocery store, and he thought, what I need are more bananas. Bananas? Why am I keep obsessing about bananas? The (laughs) clerk noticed that Jerry was sort of agitated and asked if he could help. And Jerry was like, what are you think i need some bananas what is my life i'm a substitute teacher nobody takes me seriously and he just grabbed some coconut water and started chugging it (laughs) then he smashed his empty coconut water to the ground and he ran over to now the vegetable section where he took a whole bunch of kale and he got really angry about people saying he should eat kale all the time. So he threw that to the ground. But then, but then he was called to something shimmering over in the corner that started to put his heart at ease. 
And he went over to the shimmering thing and he felt better. Suddenly he felt so much better. What was it, this shimmering thing that, uh, that he was just right beyond his grasp? He started to follow it, but it began to move. He followed it further and further and the shimmering thing kept going, going and higher and higher. Fortunately, he was a giraffe, so he was fairly <laughs> tall and he was able to get it. He actually bit into it and he discovered what it was. It was a sob. <laughs> and Jerry thought to himself, wait a second. Was what I really needed a dependable mid-sized sedan? And that is our story. <laughs> We're going to move on to our How Obsessed Are You questions. So I'll, I'll ask these and we'll go down the line answering them. Mike, do you think about storytelling every day? No, I don't. <laughs> uh, but when I do think about it, like when I'm writing a show or um, producing something, I, I am thinking about it constantly. So I kind of go from waves of where I'm not really thinking about it at all to when I'm putting something together, it, it's all I'm thinking about. And that's kind of what I was talking about with uh, be careful not to try to make a story out of something that's happening to you that might not actually be happening to you. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So. Yeah, that makes sense. Allison, how about you? Yeah, I think about it every day. What would have to happen for you not to? You'd have to be like in a coma because, I mean, it's so much of your life, right? Yeah, or on a beach, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would have to be really removed from my environment to not be thinking about it, like on yeah. vacation or something. But then I'm making new stories yeah. when I'm out there, so I'm still probably thinking about it. How about you, Craig? Do you think about it every day? I think about it every single day, probably every single hour. You know, whether it's a show that I'm working on and I, or, or, or somebody that I'm working on who's in the show and I think, how can we, how can we make this scene better? How can, you know, how can we, how can we, you know, tell that moment a little bit so it's funnier or something like that? Or, you know, I even think about like, you know, a, a class that I'm going to teach or PowerPoint that I'm going to put together. It's just like, what would be the best picture if, you know, if we just like faded in and another picture came and then it was Carol Channing. <laughs> yes, yes, that's what it should be. <laughs> <laughs> so I think about it all the time. Okay. And like, what would the impact be? Yeah. I'm going to take that as an instructive story that anytime I'm doing anything where I don't know what's next, maybe Carol Channing. Maybe Carol Channing <laughs> might help. Yeah. Just in the middle of the stand-up routine, suddenly, Carol Channing! Does that help? Do you think about it all the time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm very similar uh, uh, to Craig in that I, I think I'm very obsessed with structure. So it's always like how to mold a, like, a little moment because like times will go by in my life where like nothing particularly bad or fascinating happens to me, and all, everything that would make it a story is so internal. Mm -hmm. So then, how to make it uh, structured so that it it uh, has the power and pizzazz of sudden Carol Channing, and the audience right, is yeah. invested. Yeah. Uh, so next, how obsessed are you? Question: Have you ever had the nightmare where you forget the story you were telling, Mike? Yeah, and I like, and it's happened during slams and stuff too, where you just sort of lose the thread, you know? So I wouldn't say like I've just forgotten it to the point that I, 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 I can't remember it at all, but like stories that I've told many times and all of a sudden I'm just like, how did I get to the middle of this? <laughs> like I know there was a section that like, this is the real driver, all of these things that, this is really what the story's about and it's just gone. And it's such a weird, scary feeling because like, the stories that you tell a lot are, are kind of who you are in a way. Yeah. So it's a little rattling when it kind of disappears. And I'm not saying it's <laughs> happened a lot, but like, you know, 
there's a cadence to it. You know how to tell this story, and it kind of disappears for a second. I think that's sort of fucked up, I think. <laughs> how about you, Allison? Yeah, yes, um, that has happened to me. The nice thing at Slams, though, is like, if people can tell you you blanked out, they, like, they snap for you and like, give you a little permission Aww. to like, search in your brain for a second. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. It's like a, like, we got you... Go back a second if you need Should to. Should that be a tradition in real life where you're telling yeah. somebody a story and just... If it space out. Space out. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> bring it back. Bring it back. You can do it. Um, yeah. And I think... Well, I think a couple things, too, is it really depends... Because a lot of times I write my stories out word for word before I do them. But then if you're in a situation where you don't have that right in front of you, it can be really disconcerting when you start you forget a part or you invert a bunch of pieces or things like that and like so you have to like let go of your word choice even though your word choice is important mm. so I think there's like that kind of forgetting and then there's also just like oh my gosh like I just got here and what the heck happens now um I, I've never had to like walk off a stage unresolved before but okay it, it gets a little muddy sometimes yeah yeah. Uh, this is. I'm fascinated that I asked if you've ever had a dream where you forgot it, and you're like, uh, "Screw dreams. Here's the real times oh. it happened." Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I've actually never had that dream. I've had the like the traditional actor's nightmare, like can't remember lines, but I've never had the dream of like not being losing able to, the thread. Yeah. Interesting. I have the dream mm-hmm. where I am in my high school play still, and um, <laughs> I know, I know, and somehow I don't know my lines. And this, I have this dream a lot, and I have for like 20 years. And I'm on, I'm on the side with the script, and I just read my lines, and then someone pushes me on stage, and I just hope I remember those lines for like the three minutes I'm on stage. Then I come back and see my like next section, yeah. And it just like keeps going, and keeps going, and keeps going like that. Yeah. Like I have that dream all the time. I think you just described human existence. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I have the actor nightmare yeah. dream a lot too. And you know, as you know, like I'm a super obsessive actor about yeah. my lines, and just like I'm constantly going over my lines too. And it does actually go back to high school. I remember I was playing Tom in Glass Menagerie, and so I start, you know, walk out on stage get hit with the light too. I have tricks in my pocket. I have things up my sleeve. And then my drama teacher took a picture of me right then too. And I totally blanked. I just could not, could not remember the rest of it too. And the weird thing about it is it's a really great picture of me too. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a defining story for you? There's like a physical image of a moment early in your life where you lost a line. And now like anybody who knows you in the Twin Cities Theater, like Craig learns everything. He knows I, everybody else's lines. He knows they're blocking. He knows mm-hmm, their, mm-hmm. when their costumes need to be hemmed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Craig knows everything. Is that? And so, yeah, a lot of times I was just like really quick to get off book, really rock solid on, on book and stuff like that. And it was mainly because of that too, because I thought, I don't want that to happen to me again. Oh my God, oh my God. You know, and then by the time I turned like, after I was 40, it became harder just to memorize mm-hmm. lines. And so that old story sort of come, came back a little bit more and I went through quite a bit of time where, where I felt like, you know, maybe I should just concentrate more on directing because, <laughs> I, you know, it was just bugging me so much that, yeah, uh-huh, that I was so obsessed. With, I love doing uh, this podcast right. because I learn stuff about people that I know pretty well and I now learning from you, Craig, that you have been <laughs> let down by teachers again and again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next how obsessed are you question would you get a tattoo that says I fucking love storytelling no (laughs) Greg was quick (laughs) Mike Uh, yeah I have a few few tattoos so I probably just would but I I don't think so but it wouldn't be like a big like oh my god what am I going to do I might do it I might not 
You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but it like it would I would the, the 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 thing about it would it wouldn't be oh my god this is gonna be on my body forever. It's just like it would be more like a font thing. <laughs> <laughs> like the reason I wouldn't get it is because I just don't know that. <laughs> I would like the font enough. <laughs> this is why you're a good storyteller. You find interesting, original things to be neurotic about. <laughs> yeah. Where can I ask? I've never. Where are your tattoos? I just. I, I have some on my arm and stuff like that. I have. I have actor on my ankle. I like the uh, symbol for it. <laughs> I thought I was being so rebellious. I was like, <laughs> I, was in, I was like 20. I was like living in Chicago, and me and my friend Brad were like, what are we going to do? And I was like, let's get a tattoo. <laughs> and he was like, yeah. And, uh, and so, <laughs> you know, you have, you have all the tattoos in the world <laughs> you can choose. And uh, so the guy was like, what do you want? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm an actor. And he was like, cool. And, uh, <laughs> he, and I was like, so he was like, what do you want? And I was like, I want the symbol for actor. And uh, so I got it, and the guy, you know, on my ankle, and uh, I showed it to my mom. I mean, and <laughs> I, was, I thought, you know, I'd be, like, a real rebellious moment. And my mom, like, was just so, like, couldn't care less. <laughs> and it was, like, maybe she cared a lot. And it was just, like, the most amazing master play by the master of wrangling my emotions in the world. But, like, she was just, like, that's nice. Want another slice of pizza? <laughs> and I was, like, Mom! Do you think it really says actor? No, I n- now I I'm pretty convinced it probably says like Maserati or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, what is the symbol for actor? I don't, I don't know. It's like a bunch of like lines. Yeah, it's a bunch of lines. A bunch of lines. Japanese yeah. symbol for okay. it. Allison, would you get a storytelling tattoo? Um, I don't know if I would get one that says I fucking love storytelling. <laughs> that was just an example. Uh, I might bleep out the U and potentially get it. Okay. Uh, Would it be more lukewarm? Like, there are times when I really enjoy storytelling. (laughs) (laughs) And yet other times I find it frustrating. What a process. A five out of (laughs) ten. Would you get a tattoo across your back that said, and that's when I learned? (laughs) (laughs) I want to say yes, but no. No. (laughs) I would get, it's not the sandwich you eat, it's the sandwich you make. Because that's how I'd wrap up that story. All right, last How Obsessed Are You question. If you're going to see your favorite storyteller or, like, storytelling performance, if it was a theater or even a movie thing, if you're going to see it, but there was a bear blocking your way, would you try to get around the bear? Yeah. 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 No. (laughs) (laughs) That was a perfect three-part story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. In the end, it was just... Fuck no. No. Forget about it. I have no need to follow up. Uh, I ask everyone to make a noise to sum up their obsession. Mike, what noise can you make to sum up your obsession with storytelling? Oh, God. (laughs) But that's like my noise, like... Going through my life constantly. Uh, don't open that door. Uh, all of your doubts are there. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Allison, what is your noise? Um, beep, boop, mm. <laughs> That seemed insincere. I'm just going to be real honest. That seemed like uh, Scrimshaw wants, to make me, wants me to make a noise, so I'll make this one. Yeah, that's nice. How, how is beep, bop, mm, your storytelling noise? So it's like, um, here's our beginning, like our beep, like you're grabbing my attention. 
And then we're going in, so it's like the boop, and then like, mm, I like the ending. <laughs> All right. Again, <laughs> I guess I'm an asshole for not recognizing the brilliance <laughs> of the three-part structure. Craig, what noise, what hopefully enthusiastic noise can you make to sum up your obsession with <laughs> It's pretty much that, yeah. Is that because the noise that when it's so good? Yeah, and it's so hard to get it good. Okay. It's just like so hard. Yeah. So it's usually some kind of frustration. Okay. You fight your way to the perfect story. Yeah. Excellent. I don't uh, think I've ever written a good sentence. <laughs> <laughs> like that noise you just made, yeah. like made me, and like the frustration with getting it right. Yeah. Like I'm not 100% sure I've ever written something that I'm 100% satisfied with. And like, I guess I've always known that, but like in that moment, talk about like something triggering something, like that noise yeah. is like, yes, 100%, that's it. Yeah, and so we keep coming back and we tell yeah. new stories and we find a different way to tell the same story once again too, so that maybe we can get it right, so that we can really push that yeah. moment across yeah. too. This all makes perfect sense. That's why your dad always yells outside the bathroom. <laughs> maybe this time <laughs> I'll tell the story right. He's such a good man. <laughs> Why did I tell that? <laughs> so good. He's like, it's so good. All the times I encouraged you. <laughs> you told me you wanted to be an actor, and I was like, great. Then you told the time I yelled at you on the shit. <laughs> uh, all right. I, I can't. I can't. I can't. I'm Luckily, gonna... he doesn't even know what a podcast is. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just going to imagine you walking past the door and your father yelling, what's a podcast? <laughs> what did you do? All right, have everyone rate their obsessions on a scale of one to seven, seven being the highest, one being the lowest. Where would you rate your obsession level with storytelling, Mike? When I'm in it and working on a show, it's an absolute seven. You're all the way in it. It's yeah, all you're 100%. thinking about. How about you, Allison? 5.75. <laughs> and that's because you're just used to like scoring stories, right? Mm -hmm. you have yeah. Nice. Craig, how about you? Seven. Seven? All the time. Yeah. So you see everything this way, right? Like, you, you can break down anything into a story. Yes. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. Uh, can you guys uh, go down the line? We're going to have our final question. But before we do that, can you go down the line and tell people where they can find you on social media and, like, where to find Strike Theater and all that? Yeah, so uh, you can find me. Uh, I'm mostly on Instagram, Mike underscore Fotis. Uh, and you could find me here at Strike Theater in Northeast Minneapolis. Pretty much all the time. <laughs> and if you want to find Strike on the internet, you go to strike.theater, no.com, we're in the post.com world, um, and we're also Strike Theater on Instagram. Yep. Yeah, and I'm Minneapolis Word Nerd on Instagram. Nice. And Craig, how about you? I'm mainly on Facebook all the time, Craig R. Johnson. All right. And any, yeah. anything else that you want to plug? Um, I don't know that I have anything because the next thing is going to be a school show for the U of M too. So nothing until the spring. Then I have to direct three musicals in a row. You ha you get to right. I get to yeah. <laughs> a new musical, an old musical, and a small musical. <laughs> Two of them are in Iowa. The stories are physically actually in Iowa. They are actually in <laughs> Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> and if people want to listen to the sound of music, which version should they get? They need to get the soundtrack with Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews, <laughs> not Mary Martin. <laughs> I All hope right. Mary Martin doesn't know what a podcast <laughs> is. <laughs> <laughs> so this podcast has been cruel to Mike Fotis' father and Mary Martin. 
here are our final weird questions that don't have anything to do with anything. Mike, if you could shoot either ice or birds out of your hands, which would you shoot? Ooh. Oh, what a stumper. Um, <laughs> I had a bird in my house, and it, it was annoying. I Ice. How would you use the ice? Would you use it as combat? Would you use it to... <laughs> oh, I'd probably use it to cool my Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> But I can see why you'd use it for combat. Yeah. <laughs> Cooling a Diet Coke is pretty good, too. Uh, Allison, if you had the power of flight, but you could only fly if you were holding an object in your hand, what would you want the object to be? <gasps> My dog, the professor. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think your dog would be up for flying everywhere? Yeah, because we just got him a baby Bjorn to carry him around, and he loves that. So that like, is not okay. <laughs> so he's going to love flying. That is not okay. I really love that image, though. Look, up in the sky, it's a woman with a little dog and a baby Bjorn. <laughs> yep. Where is she going? Craig, if you could have one extra body part, such as an arm, a leg, or a face, which would it be and why? A face, an extra face, yeah. How would you use it? <laughs> For good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The final question always on the podcast is, what is happiness? What is happiness? Hmm. Um, an elusive state where all the stories are doing the exact work they need to be doing in the world. That's beautiful. Mike? Uh, what is ha- what is happiness? Not not being not being so hard on yourself. Okay, that is also beautiful. Craig, to you, what is happiness? Happiness is always being able to work and to work on the stories that you want to tell, and to know that they're reaching the people that you want to reach, and that they're impacting their lives. I ask this question of people all the time, and I don't answer it myself. So I'll offer that uh, happiness to me is the next time someone in a Target Star Wars aisle asks me which is the right action figure, they'll just say, thank you, wow, you know a lot. (laughs) And that will be the end of that story. And it will be happy. Thank you very much. That is our podcast. (laughs) Mike Fotis, Allison Broren, Craig Johnson. Listening to Obsessed, Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Obsessed.